Hey, thank you for joining us today. This is Rebecca Tapia, your podcast host. If you're finding any value of this podcast, please do share it and leave a review. And also, nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. And this is not a patient-doctor relationship. It is really just a couple of people sitting around, or maybe just myself, discussing difficult topics related to aging parents. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I have a very special guest today. It's actually a friend of a friend. But our mutual friend is so awesome that you just I just know that Jalen and I would be friends in some other life if we had met earlier. We had a great time a couple years ago in Hawaii hanging out, and it was back then that there was some mention of possible stories that could be had by any of us talking about aging parents. And I've been lucky enough to follow up with her and get more of the story of what her journey has been, how she's navigated life with her mother. So welcome, Jalen. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. And before we get started too much into the talking about your mother, just give us a, a thumbnail sketch of you. What what have you been up to? What's your family like? Where, you know, what state are you living in these days? Are you retired, working, that, that type of thing? I live in Michigan. I've been retired for four years. Two of those years were really busy taking care of my mom. And we have a son and a daughter and a tribe of three grandsons. So life is busy, fun, but busy. Awesome. And what currently, what are your, your main hobbies after retirement? Is it as good as they say it is? No, it's probably better. Oh, nice. <laughs> good. Um, good to know. I, I really enjoy quilting. I quilt a lot and I enjoy my church activities. There's some fantastic women that we've developed kind of a little group. We go to movies, we go out to eat, just things that you don't have time for when you work full time. Right. Right. And plus the kids too, right? That's yeah, of course. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And you, you've already mentioned that, that at least half of your retirement by this point was spent taking care of your mother. Is that right? Yeah, I retired yeah. in March of 2019, and my mom passed away in August of 2021. So, yeah. When was it that you, can you recall back the first time that you had the thought, hey, I'm going to need to take some of my time or my resources or attention and start helping my mom? Do you remember, did, did that kind of, do you have a point in time or did it slowly come about or was there an event that that sort of brought you into proximity to her to, to help take care of her? Well, well, there were actually two events. She moved to Holland in 2010 to be and that's closer Holland to Michigan, right? Not Holland, Holland Michigan. Yeah, right. right. And she had been here a couple of years. I don't know exactly how many and was hospitalized for chest pain but come to find out she had a huge pulmonary embolism. And that was kind of the beginning of me knowing that things were changing with her health. And then she had a knee surgery that really didn't go well and impacted her mo mobility. And then she had a TAVER procedure. 
And for, for people, people that who don't, don't, oh, sorry, you're, yeah. you're going to tackle that, right? Yeah. <laughs> for people who don't know what that is, it's a, a trans aortic valve replacement where they do not open the chest to do the valve replacement. They do it through your artery and your aorta because she wasn't a surgical candidate. And I think that was the most surprising thing to both of us when we went to the cardiac surgeon, when he took one look at her and said, you are not a surgical candidate. That was, that was pretty surprising. And it was this Tabor that is that, that was the second accelerator to you thinking, wait a minute, mom's going to need help. Cause you were the one taking her to appointments and then the in-between care. Is that right? Well, I think that Tabor is what started the downhill slide, actually. I mean, really accelerated the downhill slide. And she had ITP, which is idiopathic thrombocytopenia, which is a platelet disease. She had a bunch of things going on that were manageable, but required care and appointments. And the Tabor is really what pushed it all over the edge. And were you becoming sort of the executive manager by this point? When you say managing appointments and navigating that, was she cognitively able to do that? Or did you feel like that was something that was squarely on your plate that she was having trouble with that? I felt it was my responsibility, not only to get her there, but to be there with her. My mother's personality was that she was kind of lived in a constant state of fear. And she was always very afraid when she'd go to an appointment and couldn't always understand the information, you know, just, and was afraid she was going to miss something. Yeah. And you have a background in healthcare, correct? I do. That helped helped a bit, correct? It did. I want to back up a little bit. Sure. When she had her Tabor, Of course, they go over all the complications, and she actually did have a complication. Her femoral artery was torn when they were using the catheter. And as a result of that, she needed a secondary surgery to repair that. And then she got a wound infection, and she was actually hospitalized for 90 days. It's supposed to be an overnight hospital stay, and she ended up being there 90 days with a wound vac and all kinds of other things. So that really hastened. When were you retired by this point or you were starting to think about retiring on the timeline part? I was retired at that point, which was a godsend because we live in Holland, Michigan, and she was in Grand Rapids, which is about 40 40 miles away. But as you can imagine, she was also alone, afraid in a hospital. So her expectation was that I would go every day. To the hospital to see her. Yep. Yep. And, and what would happen if you missed a day? You know, in the beginning, she tried to be brave and understanding, understanding that Well, for one thing, it was winter. There was snow and we get a lot of snow in Michigan. But as the stay progressed, she really 
was so fearful. She just really wanted me all the time. And my favorite thing is I'd be walking in to see her and I'd hear her screaming at the top of her lungs. Where's my daughter? <laughs> Did that uh, make you feel daughter. happy that you were there? Did you feel like I need to turn around and <laughs> go back out? Well, you know, maybe a little of both, but I had a lot of empathy for how frightened she was. She was frightened. And can you describe to me sort of the family dynamics of you were the one showing up consistently. Did she have anybody else in her life? No, my brother lived at that time in Los Angeles and You know, in case my brother listens to this, which I don't care, I just want to be respectful to him. He couldn't, he couldn't handle how sick she was. It was too difficult for him. And I know that that lets him off the hook, that blah, blah, blah. But sometimes when he would come to visit, I'd be caring for two people. (laughs) Right. Right. And he was concerned and we talked on the phone and all of that. And to be honest, he helped a lot financially with her. He helped financially with her where I provided the, you know, on the ground, boots on the ground, going to the appointments, managing her medication, all of that. Did that feel fair to you? You know, Rebecca, to be really honest, I didn't allow myself to think about that. And why was that? You were worried that that you might think it wasn't fair? I was worried that I might think it wasn't fair and that I would go down a rabbit hole that I couldn't get myself out of. Because sometimes those things that bother you, if you go too deep, you can't come out. And I just didn't want that to happen. Were there other areas of taking care of her that you felt like were rabbit holes? So if if rabbit hole one was is this arrangement with my sibling a fair distribution of, you know, support? What, what would rabbit hole two number be? Oh, sorry. I said that um, wrong. rabbit hole number two. Sorry. I think it would be the number of appointments she wanted to see every physician possible to prolong what the inevitable was. So she had a and, lot of fear of, of death itself, of just prolong, like extending her lifespan was a big deal. It was. And when I tell you we did everything, we did everything. And this is, this is something that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and you can edit it out if you want. But I think that it's very insidious when you start taking care of a parent to understand how it's going to ramp up as they age and their needs become greater. It's going to be a big deal before you even realize it's a big deal. And if I could do it over, I'd have a conversation with her about if X happens, then we do Y. And if Y happens, then we do Z so that your expectations are on the same page. And I don't mean withholding care, but I mean being realistic about care and what's available and what would be effective. And 
And for me, because I have a very strong medical background, I knew what was going on, I think, long before she did. And I don't know if the lay, a lay person would be able to kind of foretell what the future might be. But I think for anybody entering in to this kind of situation, there needs to be an agreement that at some point we will need to involve palliative care, or at some point you will need to have in-home help because your only care person can't possibly do it all. And what happens when we need to do hospice? You know, if, if that comes up, how do we have that conversation? Do you think she could have participated in that conversation? That would that been have been an agreeable one, or would that have been a contentious, difficult? I, <laughs> what would that have looked like? Well, I think when you're starting, it would be difficult because nobody thinks they're going to get there. Right. By the time we involved palliative care, she was agreeable to it, and mostly because she. Pain control is an interesting part of medicine today. And she had a lot of mobility problems because of her multiple knee surgeries. And then she fell and fractured her spine and had spine surgery. I mean, it was just, come on, everything happened. And so her pain was pretty pronounced and primary care physicians will not provide pain medication anymore. Right. They just right. won't. And so palliative care was really helpful with that. Where we got into trouble was when we had the hospice conversation. That was problematic. And so my you brother, were able to talk to her about that? Oh, yeah. And my brother was here. We did it together. How did that go? And, oh, not well. <laughs> not well. And even when she was hospitalized the last time, and it was very clear to everybody else she couldn't go home, the discharge planner brought up hospice referral and she went ballistic. And actually my cousin was in the room with her and my cousin called me and said, I've never seen Annie Karen act that way. <laughs> yeah. She was determined she was going home. So and when you didn't... did attempt to have, you know, a, a crucial conversation, it, it ended up not being productive at that point. It sounds like. It was not productive. It was not. So it sounds like just from your brief description of, of these interactions, what was the experience of taking care of her? What was your emotional experience? How were, how did you receive that? How were you treated? How, you know, what, if we looked at it just from your point of view, what would that have looked like? Well, it, in the beginning, it was okay, you know, because it was, it was just okay. It wasn't, it wasn't all encompassing. And as her problems increased, it became all encompassing. And I felt like I had no life. And I'm really not exaggerating. There would be weeks that she would have maybe three appointments and then she'd want a haircut, which of course you need a haircut. And you couldn't do them on the same day because she didn't have the stamina to do it. And then it involved, well, as long as we're out, can we go for a drive and get coffee? Because it was part, it was in the pandemic and they were isolated where she lived. And I had no life and I felt sorry for my husband. 
and I've said this to several people, if my husband wasn't who he is, I would have been divorced <laughs> because he was at the dead ass bottom of the list, which is not fair. Right. And, and what do you think kept him at the bottom of the list? What thoughts did you have that, was it just that intense? And then mom's demands were, you know, so if it was lunch with husband or haircut with mom, like how did your brain approach that conflict? Well, I tried to schedule things that were when I knew he would be busy. And for the first year he was still working. He didn't retire at the same time I did. But I was always in a constant state of agitation. I was always agitated. And that doesn't make for a peaceful home life when one of the partners is always agitated. What was the living arrangement with your mom? You said she lived close enough, but y'all never actually lived together, right? But you spent a lot of time yeah, helping her in her home about eight miles away, which is not far in an, an independent living apartment building. She should have been in assisted living, but she refused. Right. But there was, but from what I understand, there, there was possibly even some funding for that, but her refusal to participate in that level of care was as big of an issue. Is that right? Right. She wanted okay. to remain independent in her home. And I don't know what it's going to be like when I get older, but she couldn't make her bed. She couldn't change her sheets. It got to the point where she couldn't unload the dishwasher because she couldn't bend over. Um, her meal preparation, her ability to do that was very limited. Yeah, it, she would have been cared for, received better care in an assisted living where meals were provided and there was help with the activities of daily living, but she was just, she was very stubborn and, but, you know, probably made her live as long as she did. But she was in an assisted living in that you were the assistants, right? I mean, yeah, you filled in for all those things. Yeah, but she didn't see it that way. So you, you said two years of a, a constant state of agitation, which I think is fascinating because we usually associate that early retirement phase as euphoric and you know you reach the top of the mountain and that's not the experience you had if we had to look at the ingredients of the agitation like if we could pick two or three main ingredients if we can identify them at all what would those have been um her constant need of my time, the fact that I often felt like I was falling short of her expectations. I don't know if that's true, but that's how I felt. And um, it was very difficult to plan things with my husband because invariably it was like, if she knew something was going on, there would be a crisis. So almost the, almost like sabotage <laughs> or yeah. crazy coincidence, right? Crazy coincidence. And, and, and this is sort of a sad thing, but she, the week after she passed away, my husband and I took off in the middle of the day on a Wednesday 
I remember it very clearly on a Wednesday. And we did something as simple as go to Costco and then go out to lunch. And I said, I know this is awful, but isn't it nice to be able to go and do something without fear of there being a crisis? And he just looked at me like, you have no idea. Wow. Well, what kind of, what kind of things would she say to you when, I mean, it sounds like you were having to spend a lot of time together in the car and appointments. Like what were those conversations like? A lot about how she was, how come they can't find out what's wrong? Isn't there a pill that'll make me better? It's so lonely in my apartment. And part of that again was the pandemic because they couldn't visit with one another. They couldn't go into one another's apartments and the food service was suspended. So the dining room in the evening for gathering was no longer, they delivered food on the shelf outside your room if you wanted to purchase dinner that night and, and how lonely she was because it was lonely. That was a, it was a lonely time in the beginning of the pandemic. How, how interested was she in your experience of caring for her? Did she ask you how you were doing? Was this an inconvenience? How's your husband handling this? This is the fourth time I've seen you this week. You must be tired. Was she able or able or willing to display no. any, any of that perspective? No. So she was very concerned with her own health. It sounds like mm -hmm. very. her own lifespan. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, so let's talk about that. So I, in having these conversations, I, I think of a lot of different spectrums and one of the spectrums is you have on one end, which is the, this is such a devoted parent. I'm such, I'm so devoted to this parent. They're my hero. They are, you know, the bee's knees. I, I, I have to see this through to the end of their life. Like I owe them the world and more. And then on the other side of the same scale or spectrum is, you know, this, this person wasn't able to show up for me in their life. And I don't have a whole lot to say other than, they're a parent and I think I have a duty to that parent. Where are you on that spectrum of, I don't know what the right word is, like it's some sort of child or parent scale? <laughs> I think I am in the middle leaning towards the she's my mother, I'm her daughter, I need to do this in the middle, but leaning towards that. I didn't view that I had an option. I, I, my personality is I would not have walked away and left her. I wouldn't have done that. That's just not who I am. And what um, do you mean by that? Do you mean you're not somebody who allows adults to make bad decisions or not allow a parent because they're, because they're genetically designated a parent and then you have a, a construct that says that this parent merits this level of care because they're a parent or how would you describe that? I, I, Rebecca, I actually never allowed myself to really think about it in those terms. I just, she needed the help. 
She moved here. I'm her daughter. This is what you do. And my cousin and I were in very similar situations at the same time. And I remember talking to her one day and saying, my God, I wish I could do all of this stuff with a happy heart. And my cousin said, I feel exactly the same way. So I was providing the care and the assistance, but I wasn't happy about doing it. And I know that sounds terrible, but that's the truth. No, that sounds completely realistic. <laughs> I mean, I, I just that's wasn't. Where we would have I, these conversations. Yeah. I just wasn't. And it was confirming for me to have my cousin say the same thing. This, the exact same thing. So what kept you going was this thought, I can't, I wouldn't walk away. This is my mother. This is something I have to do. So it was a combination of what sounds like a moral thought. This is the right thing to do. This is who I am. And then also the act of avoidance of questioning the thought. Like, cause you, you, you know, obviously when, when we're in distress, we also, you know, if we start considering other options, like you called them the rabbit holes, like there's also some active avoidance of the rabbit holes, right? <laughs> like, exactly. like a little thought pops up. You're like, we can't think that way. And then, and then go away from it. But what would happen when those thoughts would pop up? What would you tell yourself? It's just mom, you know, and, and I would dismiss some of it because that's just who she is, but it did get to the point where when she had her 90 day hospitalization, when she was about halfway through it, I actually went to my primary care provider and said, I need help. I'm stressed out. I can't sleep. You know, this is a bad, bad situation. And it was very affirming for my primary care provider, who is a lovely young woman to say, holy cow, how have you done it so far this long? And we had some really good conversation about it. And I am not a prescription person. I don't like to take pills, but she did prescribe something that at least helped me sleep at night so I could wake up refreshed. And I was willing to do that. I'm glad you had a care provider that you could talk to like that. That's, that's a very good thing. Yeah. Oh, she's fantastic. Story. And she's, you know, mid thirties and has a lot of wisdom, just a lot of wisdom. So, so but yeah, let, let's think about this. If this was a movie playing back in your head and you didn't exist, what would have happened to her? What would that have looked like after the Tabor? Oh, I think she would have had to go in. Well, my brother would have probably come in and provided care for her, but he wouldn't have stayed here. I don't believe. I don't believe. You mean like hired somebody or like oversaw yeah. the care? Right. No, probably hired somebody. But if he were out of the picture, like if he were totally out of the picture and it was just she and I, and I wasn't here she would have had a very sad existence. She would have ended up in a Medicaid bed in some skilled nursing facility 
and it would have been awful because I think those things are awful in my mind. Those are, that's a terrible way to be. So we're going to dive a little deeper into this. What I, what I'm hearing you say is that she, you know, I guess uh, without any support, she would have had a sad existence in a skilled nursing facility, but in a Medicaid so, bed, right, right. Which is even worse. Right. Yeah. So that existence, and then you, you know, plusing you and your brother into the picture, she had an improved existence with more support, at least for, you know, for this about two year time frame. But what I'm hearing is almost a transaction that you had the sad existence for two years and that it didn't seem compatible for you to provide that level of care and be happy as you've already talked about and for her to be happy. So there was something, and maybe you're, 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 you've already hit this, which is I can't let myself think that way, but it's very interesting the way that it, that, that the language your brain is producing is, well, this was all worth it. So that this, this two year period for mom wasn't as sad as it already was right. Just because she was sick and had a lot of things going on, yeah. but it was definitively sad for you. Yes. Does that, I mean, how, how does your brain and after the fact, now that she has passed, like processing this and maybe the, us talking about it is processing it. I'm not sure, but, but I find that fascinating. Do you think like that's a, a bad characterization of it? Does it feel that way? No, no. I think that it, I think that in many ways it was transactional because I wasn't doing it with a happy heart it, it, it made me sad many times to be doing it. I know my brother was very sad about the situation that she was in about her health declining. I didn't allow myself to really get too deep in it, but I can tell you <clears throat> that after she passed away, I felt an incredible sense of freedom. Yeah. I mean, just with your time, right. Your structure, like everything, you know, just planning a week, it sounds like. Yes. And I actually also felt happy and I wasn't happy that she was gone. I think that's, for me, that's a terrible thought. Oh, she's gone. I'm free. That's, I was happy that she wasn't living such a compromised life but I was also happy that I had some time for myself and to re-engage with my life. What would it have taken, if anything, to have spent that couple of years doing this with a happy heart? Would it have been something she said? Would it have been that she was a different type of mother? What I think what... those two things, I think those two things. My mom was not, you know, she wasn't particularly warm and loving. You know, she provided as best she could, but her mother was not particularly affectionate and warm and loving. So her example wasn't the best either. And so I think some acknowledgement 
and some kind words would have been helpful, but it was hard for her. I, I was, I was with a friend of mine not too long ago and her mom passed away about the same time mine did. And I said something off the cuff being very flippant. I said, I just wish my mother would have loved me. And Deb said, she loved you beyond measure. She talked about you all the time and how much she cared about you. And I said, why did she never tell me? Oh, that's an unanswerable question at this point, right? Yeah. That's, that's chilling. I mean, but it was, I mean, really? Because I never, I never would have thought that happened ever. If, if you had, you mentioned, you know, some other people in your life going through similar things. If you had seen a parallel case where the person in that situation who would be you taking care of an older parent did walk away. Or they said, you know what, my career is really important, or I've got this thing, or I just can't do this. And, you know, maybe here's some money or not, and walked away. What would have your, what have your thoughts, what would your thoughts be about that? About, about that, person? that person doing that? Right. I think that they were brave. I think that they were brave in protecting themselves. So how do you reconcile that? Or maybe it's not reconcilable because we all of us have thoughts that are not reconcilable yeah. with looking and saying, look, you know, everyone, if my mom deserves to be happy, then I deserve to be happy. If that person is able to walk away, then I'm able to walk away, at least from sort of the, some of the situations you're talking about. Do, do those ever marry up in your brain? I, I mean, I know this is all water under the bridge and after the fact and perhaps too old to to bring up, but I, I'm really fascinated by this concept in general of sort of how women take on overtly unsavory tasks. Um, I think it's expected. I actually, I absolutely think it's expected. And generationally, I think the older you are, the more it's expected. I think, I, I think as like I age, I have a much different expectation about what my son will do for me. And I have said to him, I'm learning what not to do. Mm. Now, I hope I learn the lessons well, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that I don't do that. But, and the other thing is, there's a whole generation of women that kind of don't allow themselves to go do too deep with unsavory things. I just don't think they do. If they did, they couldn't do it. Right. Right. Well, that goes back to, you know, this idea that in these situations, the brother saying, Oh, you're so strong. There's no way I could do that. And what I hear when I hear that is, yeah, I would never do that because it's on who would want to do that? You know? So my, my mom's legs were enormous at the end and they were seeping, you know, mm -hmm. and he was here with his wife and we had been somewhere and we all walked into our apartment at the same time and her leg was bleeding and her shoe was full of blood and it was just a mess. And they both went, oh, you know, that, Oh my gosh. I walked into the bedroom. 
got the box of supplies, went and sat down in front of her, cleaned and bandaged her leg. So I think back on that experience and think, unless you're there, you have no idea what it entails to really care for an aging parent and what you may or may not walk into. But that was a perfect example because they both kind of blanched like, oh, what do we do? Well, you go get the supplies, you clean her leg and you bandage it. Right, right. What you do? That now, probably look, no, that's a story. good point. And, and that, you know, in some cases would breed empathy for the person being the caregiver, give them a little bit of latitude with, oh yeah, you're doing the hard thing. So, so now that you've had some distance from it, um, mm-hmm. and maybe this is an unfair question, but was it worth it? Yes, because I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't do it. Fair, fair. And the the costs that you're talking about, the costs for your, your personal health, for your marriage, are weighed into that conclusion. Not exactly. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to, I, you know, I, that's, that's, that's what I'm here to ask about because sometimes we, we have the the wrong math to it. Like, you know, here's how many hours it took and here's what this person benefited. And yep, that, that was worth it. And now I don't feel guilty, but I like to look at the entire equation, which is, you know, if we were to be really objective and fair about the, the relative costs for the other parts of your family, kids, grandkids, spouse, and your personal health, not sleeping, those types of things. And we think of it that way, then ask it again, was it worth it? Probably not. Probably not. And, you know, looking back, I would have done things differently. What would you have done differently? We would have had crucial conversations earlier. Yeah, we would have had crucial conversations earlier about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And I really allowed her, which I think we kind of have to, as long as people can make their own decisions, let them. I was her power of attorney for healthcare, but she was all, she always had, you know, the ability to make decisions but I wished I would have influenced some of her decisions to do things differently. Case in point, no to the Tabor, no. And when her ITP acted up and she started on Rituxan and they had to have Rituxan infusions at cancer and hematology, no, I would have said no to that. Hmm. Because not going to make it didn't make any difference. Sure. And and uh, it had been stable for so long, and then when it, you know, started to flare up again, prednisone wasn't changing anything. I sort of knew rituxan wouldn't make a difference. But you have, you know, really, you want to do this? You want to go through all this? And okay, maybe let's have one treatment and see if your counts improve. 
And if they don't, let's have a different conversation. I didn't do that. And I wished I would have. And it sounds like, and and maybe this isn't fair, maybe your husband participated in this, but the person who was looking out for you and your time and your quality of life and how you were being treated, how this was working out, if it certainly can't be your mother, which we've, you know, that seems to be apparent, really not you at that point, because if you thought about that, you would have a lot of drama, right? Yeah. And then maybe perhaps a spouse, but, but how, what do you think would have mattered to alter the course? And I'm not saying there's a should or shouldn't or didn't go perfectly or whatever. I'm just saying like back in the day, who would have said what to you to stop you in your tracks and say, mom, you know, you require an assisted living level of care. And, and that's, that's what needs to happen. I can't do this anymore. What, what would have, what person would have said that, or what, what do you think would have altered the course if at all? I don't think it could have been altered knowing her personality. My husband said that so many times. I, I, I can't even tell you. I mean, you, you, what would have altered your course, not her? What would have made you go to her and say, I can't do this anymore. You need an assisted living level of care. You know, here's the number to call. I think if my my marriage was in danger, that would have done it. My husband was a saint, but if he would have come to me and said, you can't continue this, I'm not going to be at the bottom of the list. There has to be a different solution or I'm leaving. That would have done it. So you had a stopgap. It just didn't get triggered. Right. Got it. Okay. So I think that, I think this is fascinating. I know we've been over a whole lot of information and I'm just forever thankful that you're willing to share and have these tough conversations. And this is exactly what I am passionate about is just women having second and third order questions. Well, Um, you know, and I think it's interesting because we all love our parents. I, I mean, I think most everyone loves their parents, regardless of what, you know, past history might be. And on a human basis, nobody wants to see anybody else suffer. They just don't. And so it's hard, I think, to wrap your head around everything that's going on and know what to do, what not to do, when to have the conversation, when to say I'm not doing anymore when you are so thick in it. You're ability to see things clearly change when they're gone. Right. I mean, you spend a lot of time thinking, why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? Or would this have changed anything or not? Well, and and all the commitment you have at the beginning, like, you know, I'm going to show up and do it this way. You haven't, you can't know what you're committing to at that point because the complications haven't occurred, the hospitalizations, the arguments, those haven't really come up. So Um, So this is a conversation I have with every young girl that's getting married. Don't do anything at the beginning of the marriage that you want, don't want to do forever. Because if in 10 years, you don't want to do it anymore, it's a problem. Because, well, why don't you want to do it? You've done it forever. Same thing with an aging parent. Be very sure at the beginning of the journey 
that you want to continue everything you're doing because when you don't want to do it anymore, it's a problem. I, that is awesome. Thank you so much for saying that I had not connected those dots. That is, that is gold. Well, I appreciate your time. I think we should talk again. I think there's a lot more here, but for our, our visit today, I appreciate yeah, that's it. Great. Thank you. That's great, Rebecca. Uh, well, thank you so much. We will be in touch. All right. Have a good afternoon. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you really enjoyed the podcast. I am here to let you know I can be found on RebeccaTapiaMD.com. You can come over there to learn about my new course launching this summer, dealing with mindset for aging parents, getting prepared, all the good stuff, sharing my opinions and life lessons. Uh, also could just join my email list so I can share more about my thoughts about these podcasts and more insights there. Thank you so much for being here.